Hello and welcome to the next episode of The Podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. You're joined by your host, Heavy Days, and this episode, as always, was brought to you by our incredible sponsors. CT now, number one seed bank in the industry, guarantee on satisfaction, not just germination. Go check them out, all the hottest drops, all the best breeders. They've just put up some new stock. Go see if it's what you need to make your next run fire as hell. Likewise, in order to get the best run out of your genetics, you need to keep your garden happy and healthy. And for that, we'd like to give a shout out to our friends at Copper Biological Systems. These guys have all the best predators in the game to keep bug infestations away and to fight off any unwanted issues you may be experiencing. Check out their Spidex Vital or their Afipar M, both fantastic products for fighting off spider mites or aphids respectively, two pests a lot of growers struggle with, but they're here to help you get on top of it. Furthermore, huge shout out to Promix. These guys have been in the industry for years. You know them, they make great media-based products using peat and mycorrhiza, but guess what? Now you can get their fantastic mycorrhizal product on its own. Promix Connect, the number one mycorrhizal product in the game, helping you to achieve greater yields, better resins, enhanced flavor and terpenes, helping you to make your next harvest the best today. Check out Promix Connect for all your mycorrhizal needs. We'd like to welcome our newest sponsor onto the show, Charlie's Cannabis. These guys are family-owned, small-batch craft cannabis out of Oklahoma City, providing you with fantastic flavors and incredibly high-quality flour for anyone who's in need of some high-quality medicine. Growing strains like Star Pebbles, Chemical Sunset, and so many more, go check out Charlie's Cannabis for all the best craft small batch Oklahoma grown cannabis. They've got all the flavors and turps you need to make sure that you're puffing good. Last but not least, huge shout out to the Patreon gang. You guys know you're the lifeblood of the show, helping to ensure episodes happen. If you would like to help support the show and ensure future content is continued to be created, please go to patreon.com forward slash the podcast and sign up. You'll get access to unheard content, additional interviews, giveaways, and so much more. Patreon gang, love you guys so much. Appreciate you. On this episode, we're joined by the one and only East Coast Chem King, JJ NYC of Top Dog Genetics, here to talk all things Chem and Star Dog, East Coast history, Top Dog Genetics going forward, and so, so, so much more. So, without further ado, let's get into it. Alrighty, a big thank you and welcome for joining us today. One and only, the East Coast Chem King, JJMYC of Top Dog Genetics. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you on finally. We've had so many requests for you. But my first question for you today is, what have you been smoking on recently? Uh, well, recently, you know, I just actually did a, um, a, a release um, with the dispensary um, Verde. So, you know, I started working with them in the beginning of the year. Um, you know, I gave them some genetics. And finally, we got, you know, the final product out. You know, we started this uh, discussions in December. 
I got those guys some pollen, some genetics, and uh, finally we got a final product. So we, right now um, I'm, we're in the process of pheno hunting. So, I mean, we, I mean, uh, we did like, I don't know, like maybe like a thousand seeds or I don't know exactly the exact count, but um, I think we did about 200, 200 of the mango, uh, black, man, black pips, I'm sorry, the black pips. And so um, that was the first release. And so I think out of the 200, I think we had a little over a hundred females. So uh, just, you know, going through all the different uh, phenotypes, you know, uh, judging them by smell, um, you know, the way that they grow. Uh, we did some uh, test washing and, um, you know, just doing overall evaluation of the flower and everything. So we had to do that with the black pith. And now this week we just released the sour 2018, the New York City Chem F2s, some store cookie. Uh, there was uh, the Chem Z and the UW Backcross. Uh, so I've been uh, sifting through all this flour and, you know, um, judging it. And, you know, I have to go back to the team with my recommendations of my, of my top three of what, what I like and everything. So luckily for me, this all fell on um, the holiday weekend. So I'm kind of enjoying myself. Uh, that's awesome. It sounds like you're in for a good weekend. You you just mentioned so many strains that I was interested to talk to you about. So thank you for that. The mango piff, that's an interesting one. Do you feel like there's a growing demand for those sorts of sativas nowadays? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, the piff has always been uh, a staple in New York City. So, I mean, it's always been, you know, the people that grew up in the New York metro area, uh, most of them know about that haze. And so, I mean, it's always had a reputation, um, kind of like the sour diesel. I mean, it's really, you know, it comes from the same, the same uh, area that the sour diesel blossomed out of. And uh, so... I just think that a lot of people just, you know, they might have heard about it, read about it, but never got to experience experience it. So, you know, I was breed, you know, had done a, you know, a lot of breeding with some of the mango stuff, and then, um, you know, I had the the black haze um, years ago, and I did a breeding with it, and so um, I had. Uh, acquired the PIF S1 uh, clone. So I thought it would be, you know, the perfect choice for the, the, the mango, the mango uh, Nigerian um, black haze. And that was the male times the, the, the PIF S1. So that was, that, that's what made the, the black PIF that were uh, currently, uh, that we currently released. Wow, that's that's great to hear. I'm I'm one of those people you describe who's heard so much about the piff but obviously never tried it. I guess the the first question that I sort of think about is you hear a lot of names thrown around like um with like Uptown Haze, Cuban Black Haze, the piff. Are they all the same thing or are they different? Yeah, no, they're all the same thing. Uh they're just different kind of slang 
uh, terms for for that for that strain. But also, um, it's the same as the A5, the A5 from Amsterdam or, or the same genetics. They're, they're a little bit different. You know, the A5 is, um, was a little bit meatier, I think, but it was still kind of that same Colombian pissy type of genetics, uh, which were, was very rare. I don't think that, you know, Neville ever really commercially released uh that strain i think that was something that you know he had a small release of at the time and you know and these are, and this is what had survived out of that you know obviously they have the the a5 i think the katsu in amsterdam has that's one of their house strains and it's been a staple you know for amsterdam for a long time and then the same could be said for the, the Black Haze, you know, which was, you know, um, came out of Florida originally. That's where they, you know, originally started growing it. And then commercial shipments would come up to New York City. And so um, there was always a New York, Miami. Uh, there was always a, uh, that was always a, like a, a cocaine route uh with guns and drugs etc so um a lot you know back then you know all that was just you know balled into one so they were trafficking stuff back and forth bringing up you know um a lot of that up into new york and then once they got established uh i think they started producing you know, some of the stuff up, up in the New York, New York City area. So I remember hearing a couple bus back in the day and, and it was up, uptown and, it, you know, it was the, the Dominicans and, 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 and those guys up there that were, were running that stuff. So, I mean, even to this day, they still have a stranglehold on that, on that strain. Yeah, that's. I think that's one of the most interesting aspects about it is how it's still so tightly held and so elusive. I guess another thing which came out about your previous answer was that you work with the S1 and it made me wonder, do you think that the real one still exists or maybe the S1 is the best we have? No, no, I think that, uh, um, you know, the real one still exists. Um, I th you know, I just reacquired the the black haze um cutting i haven't finished it out so i can't verify it but um there seems to be a lot more people in the community that are using it now it's getting passed around a lot more now but you know that's you know uh that was around you know 10 years ago so you know i had done some work with it you know maybe nine ten years ago and um it, it, you know, people just, you know, weren't really interested in haze, really. Uh, you know, there were a few people, but really since the death of, of Neville, it seems that there's been a, uh, a re, you know, revitalization of, uh, of interest of the haze. So, uh, you know, and then, you know, with, you know, with, uh, with people now, um, you know, talking about the black haze and the piff a lot more and it being a little bit more available, um, people, I think, are, you know, once they try it, you know, then they're, you know, they're interested in growing it. And, 
and and my phenos are going about 70 to 77 days you know so um you know with the you know with the breeding that i've done you know it, it originally started with nl5 haze times the nigerian and then back crossed into the nigerian and then crossed into the, the the mango haze and that's what made the mango nigerian and that was basically you know um uh, an earlier uh, sativa strain because there was a little bit of indigo with the NL5 in it, and then and then and also the uh, the Nigerian was an early finishing sativa, and then crossed into the mango, um, and that was kind of early finishing because that was um, I, you know that was the A5 time skunk one I believe. And so that was a little more indigo in there. So, uh, you know, the lines uh, basically have been kind of bred with a little bit of indigo in them, but, you know, they were way more sativa leaning and just really just cut down the flowering time on, on a lot of those long flowering sativas. You know, so then I, you know, uh, you know then I crossed that into the black, into the black haze and then obviously I crossed that into the the um, the S1, which was an early finisher. But the S1 I felt um, kind of fell short for me. On um, I mean, it, it was really crystally, and it finished it early. And, it, and when you smelled it, and it was grown, it smelled really piffy and everything. But when you smoked it. It didn't have that that psychedelic sativa uh, effect to it, and when I say that, when you smoke this, um, it, it's pretty much like a head high, and you can take a big hit and blow it out and close your eyes, and you'll just feel the effect of 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 the third eye and a lot of moving parts inside of your head almost uh, it, it's kind of hard to describe when you um you know when you smoke some of these psychedelic sativas you know they're a more of an up high uh, more clear um you know you'll get a little racy a little a little heart race you know you feel your heart you know beating a little bit and you know for the seasoned smoker you know, you're able to handle that. But if you give that to someone that's not a seasoned smoker, you know, they'll get, uh, you know, they'll start to get anxiety, the racy effect and what I call um, cannabis overdose. You know, when you it's almost like when you eat too much edibles, you know, you get the feeling that you're almost going to die. Your, your heart is racing. You're breathing heavy. You feel uncomfortable. And, you know, you just got, you know, with, you know, experienced smokers know that, you know, that, you know, uh, that you just got to kind of just chill out and relax and, you know, it's, it's going to go away. But for people that, you know, don't really know, they start getting more, uh, they just contribute to the paranoia of the whole thing. And they don't, you know, instead of trying to relax, they go in and start getting more um you know upset about it and it, and it just contributes to their you know some people go to, go to the hospital and um 
so yeah a great answer you know i I hope all of our listeners have been there at least once (laughs) well if you ate too much edibles we've all been there at one point or another yeah it's interesting the like the positive feedback loop you describe it's hilarious yeah I, i think we've all been there at some point or another Something interesting that you just referenced is like it's it's so impressive that you're able to cut down the flowering time to, you know, like 70 days-ish because those strains often go a lot longer. But something I specifically wanted to ask you in relation to that anxiety feeling is I think I'm one of the only people who says this, but I get that feeling from the C5 and I love it. I, I, like, I love anxiety inducing weed. I know it's a very like non-popular opinion to express but I think I'm the only one who prefers the C5 over the A5. Uh, where do you fall on that one? Do you prefer one over the other? Um, I'm more of an A5 guy because I like that pissy kind of, um, yeah, Colombian, where the C5 is kind of more of that floral tie, and which is nice. Um, but I get more of the psychedelic, feeling from from the a5 um yeah and i guess you know the combination of the both would be you know equivalent to the neville's haze yeah gosh i guess that's that's one i've yet to try but it would be be really nice i'm betting yeah no i I mean i've been able to try some good samples in the past and you know the the real good ones you kind of get a blend of both you know, surprisingly enough, yeah, and um, yeah, that's the only way to describe it. Yeah, lovely stuff there, lovely stuff. Okay, to bring us back to sort of the original question about like sort of what are you smoking and you mentioned the facilities, I guess another question I'm interested in asking you is if a facility was to come to you and ask to use some of your genetics, what are some of the genetics that you think would do better in a facility as opposed to say just like a a home grow where, you know, certain factors aren't as big of a deal? What are the ones you go to straight away for facilities? Well, I mean, you got to go to, you know, the the star dogs, the guavas, the original New York City diesels, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that's been a staple, you know, of the brand for, for, for the, you know, for a long time, um, you know, and it depends on what direction they want to go with it. You know, a lot of it depends on, you know, uh, what the facility, you know, like the guys that I'm working with now more into pheno hunting looking for um phenos that that are going to produce terps and hash and good flour and so they're doing some research and development you know so um you know each plate you know not a lot of places are really willing to do that they want to you know they have a certain amount of space dedicated to, to their canopy and really uh they want to, you know, maximize, you know, every square inch of that. And so, you know, depending on, you know, um, you know, it really depends on, you know, the, the business model of, 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 of the business, you know, of, of the business it's, itself. Yeah. That's, that's so promising to hear that they're willing to do that pheno hunting. Cause I mean, I think a, a sentiment expressed by many guests in the past is that by doing that, you sort of create your own brand image because you've got this unique thing that like no one else has because you, you went and found it. And then on top of that, it's 
you know, like a star dog from JJ. Like, what more could you ask for? Right, and it becomes almost an exclusive. So it be, become your own exclusive house strain or pheno of that strain. And so you can call that your own and be exclusive with it. And, you know, you know as well as I do, you know, if you get, you know, a really popular uh, phenotype, that's really special that, you know, and like just say, just like a, a GMO for, for example, you know, if you're able to find something of something of that magnitude and keep that, you know, in-house as your own, you know, obviously you're going to be able to uh, attract that, you know, you know, that market to you because of that. So, and I think that's really going to be the, the future of cannabis is really going to be branding and, and strains and really kind of on the level of wine and beer as in micro brewing. And, you know, you really, you know, as a, uh, as a cannabis brand, you know, you really got to define yourself on who you want to be, who, who are your customers? Who do your customers want to be? Do you want to be a Gucci or do you want to be a Walmart? You know, so I mean, you know, each 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 model can be profitable, and you know, so uh, but you know, you have to you know um, define on who you want to be, and you want to be a you know the on the connoisseur, you know, and, and, and attract knowledgeable people. Or do you want to be the kind of business that's just going to, you know, attract people that they're that are not in a know, that are not regular smokers? They come in, they're one and done, and you'll never see them again. And so, and a lot of it is, you know, based on um, price point. You know, so you know, a lot of people are just based on, you know, they only want to spend so much money. Um, maybe they only smoke once or twice a week. So, you know, quality to them is not going to be a big difference where you have a guy that's, you know, smoking every day and, or if they're a medical patient. So, you know, it, it, you know, when you really, you know, break down the customer pool, uh, it gets quite intricate in, in the different type of people that, can be your customer so you really got to you know think about who you want to be yeah most definitely that's a nice rundown there and i guess the last sort of question before we move to a different topic is we see um a, a few different breeders working with facilities nowadays do you suspect that not just for you but sort of across the board in the industry that this will be the way breeders move in the future where they try to pair up with facilities or do you think it's maybe not a big trend per se um, well, I think, you know, it's really going to be up to the facilities and how they want to brand themselves. And so, um, you know, if, you know, if they just want to create their own brand, you know, and which is quite difficult, but possible, you know, built on quality or whatever your selling point is going to be, uh, you know, otherwise, you know, you're going to have to go with uh, recognized brands in the industry. And, um, you know, you know, I've said this before, you know, uh, you know, good weed comes from good strains, good strains come from good clones, 
and good clones come from good seeds. So, you know, a lot of, you know, the, a lot of uh, corporate people don't really, you know, understand this concept and just think you can just go out and get, get some weed, get, you know, get whatever, you know, weed is weed. And so, you know, it, you know, it really, you know, really goes down to, you know, the, the type of people that are running the business and, you know, do they smoke pot themselves or they connoisseurs themselves or are they just, you know, a, a corporate fund just, you know, discounting the money. So, you know, there's a big difference between the two. And, you know, when you're in touch and out of touch with the culture. So, um, you know, it depends on, you know, who you want to appeal to. And, but, you know, for me, I see, you know, like I said, I see it as being as branding, as being, uh, you know, like, like you're going to go into, you know, like the New York structure is going to be, um, you know, it's, it's not going to be integrated. So, you know, as a dispensary, you're going to be able to buy wholesale from anyone across the board. So, you know, so, and, you know, so if that's the case now, you know, you know, what's going to separate each, each brand from itself, you know, it's just really going to be the, the name and reputation on how good the product is. So, you know, in the end, that's really, you know, you know, what's going to win out is, you know, who has the best product consistently. And, uh, so, you know, so, I mean, that, and that's the way that I see, you know, the market, you know, eventually moving to because, you know, uh, you know, it, it, you know, when I go shopping, you know, in, in a dispensary, you know, I'm looking for the diesels the chems, the cushions, you know, anything uh, with the fuel, the high end, you know, and so, you know, that's just the kind of, and I'm willing to uh, travel and that's just the kind of customer that I am. And I'm looking for certain types of strains and certain types of quality. So, uh, you know, it doesn't pay for me, you know, just to get some average, you know, some average stuff for for cheap you know because you know I, it doesn't matter how much i smoke of it i'm not going to be satisfied you know but when you smoke some cam or some uh some 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 fire you know you could you, you just got to take one or two good puffs you know once you blow that out you just get that warm fuzzy feeling and it's almost like that you know warm blanket you know, over, you know, over you. And, you know, it's just something that, you know, I can't really, you know, get from something else that, you know, even if I smoke, a, you know, a pound of it, I, I won't, you know, so it just does not have the same effect for me. So. Yeah. Great sentiment expressed there. So I'd love if you could take me back. What's your first experience with cannabis? Um, I was about 13 years old and it was, I think it was, it might've been Christmas day and it had snowed. And when we were kids, we used to go out, you know, shovel sidewalks and driveways for money. So we had snowed, 
you know, and my next door neighbor called me up, you know, and like, yeah, let's go out, you know, let's do some shoveling. So you know, we go out, you know, we had our regular people that we used to, you know, shovel on a regular basis. So we were heading over to the one people's house and we decided, you know, we cut through some woods and we stopped and uh, he pulled out a joint, you know, and he had older brothers. And so, um, and I was the oldest one in my family. So, um, you know, I had never seen any, you know, weed before or anything like that. So, you know, we, uh, you know, he, he lit it up and, and, you know, we smoked it and, you know, I was kind of feeling a little silly and everything. And we started shoveling and, uh, we couldn't finish the job, you know, we got like, you know, we were just so, you know, kind of silly and, you know, it was just so much work. We just kind of bailed out of it and just, and just walked away uh, from the job. So, um, and then after that, I don't know, I might've been in like seventh grade and, you know, uh, and, and, you know, I was in middle school. So, um, I, you know, there were maybe a couple other times that, you know, we had gotten weed. I remember uh, we had bought a nickel bag from someone and that was like $5 worth. And so um, we all, you know, there's three of us. So we all, you know, chipped in, bought this nickel bag from an, an older guy in the neighborhood. And, you know, we smoked a couple bowls of it. We were down by the river. And, you know, so we smoked a couple of bowls and then a, a bunch of these older uh, kids started, you know, um, coming around and they were having this big party down where we, where we were hanging out. And so, you know, we were started hanging out with them. And so we were smoking a little bit and some guy was like, who's got some weed? And so and we were like, oh, we got some. So we showed him the bag. He's like, oh, I'll give you 15 bucks for it. And so we were like, yeah, sure, you know. So we had already smoked, you know, like three or four bowls. And then we sold it for 15 bucks. So, you know, we, we, we each wound up, you know, getting high for free and getting five bucks each, you know. And so we were really psyched about that. And so, you know, that was one of the other, um, you know, early experiences I had. But I really didn't start using regularly until I, I got into high school, you know, when I got into ninth grade. And once I got there, I mean, there was like a smoking area on the school grounds and there was a tree there and it was on a little bit of a knoll. So it was like a little bit of a, a little bit of a hill there. And so all the kids used to just, you know, gather up in the morning before school and everyone used to smoke cigarettes there and everyone used to just crowd it was like a circle around the tree and so you know you can get into that circle and everyone would be smoking cigarettes and then you know back then um they used to sell joints for a dollar and they would and they would have them in cigarette packs so you know, someone, someone would come out and they'd fucking open up their cigarette pack and be like dollar joints. And so, you know, they would, you know, everyone in that circle would just start buying joints, you know, so you would get up with your friends and be like, you know, um, 
you know, yeah, we got $5. And so, you know, you'd make a deal, be like, all right, give us six for five. You got six for five. So, you know, we would plan, all right, we're going to smoke one, one joint in the morning. We'll smoke, you know, one at lunchtime, one after school, and then two, you know, so we, you know, we would have all that weed like planned out for, for the whole day on how we were going to smoke it. And, you know, we were only kids back then. So when you had, you know, three, four or five kids, you know, and you each put up a dollar or two, you know, all of a sudden you had, you know, five, 10 bucks. Now you'd be like, all right, give me 12 for 10 or, you know, so you'd be able to cut deals. And so, uh, you know, that's how you survived when we were kids, you know, going to school, we did this with our lunch money and, you know, we didn't work and just got money from our parents and, you know, we were just trying to get high. Great answer. What a nice little stroll down memory lane. I mean, I don't fault you if you don't know the answer to this, but do you know what you were smoking at the time? Um, early on, um, you know, there was really no names, you know, there was really kind of like Mexican and Colombian and, you know, so that was like early on, but there was always, uh, some Hawaiian and there was exotic around, you know, uh, it was really hard to get, uh, there was uh, a lot of, uh, blonde hash uh, the, the red hash, black hash. Um, but around in the early, I'd say, I don't know, 81, 82, uh, that's when the real first, uh, we called it Christmas tree scents. So that was really when the first real kind bud started coming around. And I remember, I think it was, used to be able to get it for like 200 bucks an ounce you know, which was a lot of money back then. And, uh, you know, people, I mean, you could maybe sell a gram for 10 bucks back then, you know, so, you know, it wasn't really, you know, you know, much of, you know, of a profit margin. Uh, because, you know, back then, you, you know, like I was telling you, there were dollar joints, and, you know, a half ounce would be like $20, an ounce would be $40. And that would be kind of just your typical uh, commercial type of weed. Uh, you know, out of an ounce, you can maybe, you should be able to roll, I don't know, 50 to 60 joints, depending how big they were. So that's how people would sell them, you know, for a dollar each, you know. So, um so, yeah, the Christmas tree scents used to, you know, come around and used to be good Hawaiian and, and stuff like that. But, you know, and I also remember uh, when I was in school, um, the janitor start was selling weed <laughs> and he used to get and he had his brother uh, lived in Harlem and up in New York City. And I know that he used to get the weed was coming from Harlem. And he used to get this stuff, I think, it, you know, and it was, I think it was $50 an ounce, which there's either 50 or 60, I forget. I know that it was more expensive than your regular, you know, standard commercial stuff. And originally he came in and he started, he, he handed my friend a pack of, um, 
you know, a pack of joints to sell for him. And there were these little tiny, like pinhead joints. I mean, they were ridiculous. You know, I mean, like people used to laugh at him because there used to be this guy Stymie and he used to sell these joints. And I mean, people used to, used to know his route to school and they would like, they used to wait for him to cut, he, they cut him off before he got onto the grounds because when you used to get stymie joints, they were these big, huge bombs. And you could actually unroll them and get two joints out of the one, you know what I mean? So, you know, so, you know, so, but, you know, I had these little skinny pinheads and like, you know, the, people used to ridicule them. They're like, oh, I had to toothpick this and that. You know, but when you smoke that, man, it, it fucked you up. So, so, you know, a lot more than than the regular stuff. And so, you know, the, the, the janitor was, you know, he, you know, then my friend showed me what he was getting from the janitor. And then I hooked up with him. And so I was just getting like, you know, I was just getting ounces from him and just selling it myself. And I remember I just called it rainbow weed. And but it had all different colors in it. It had like some red, some green, some brown, some gold, had all different colors. But I suspect that was some type of Thai weed or, or something like that, because I just remember that just being, you know, some of the strongest stuff around. Like I was explaining to you, you know, once people smoked it, they were just like, oh, let me get some more of that stuff. So. Uh, that was, you know, a, another memorable, you know, strain of day. And I also remember getting like some, some real gold, some real Colombian gold, the Santa Marta gold. Um, a friend of mine, he had an older brother. He had two older brothers. And so, um, yeah, I guess one of the older brothers, I, I think it just came down the line of brothers. The older brother got it, gave it to the gave it to the other brother and then he gave it to the younger brother who was my friend so we wound up getting like i think we got an ounce of it and we split it half and half and um yeah i remember that just being bright gold like you know like and back then there was the real gold and then the fool's gold which they called so the the fool's gold was the stuff that look gold but it was just trash it didn't get you high so i used to call that fool's gold but the real gold was kind of um hazy it had like this hazy type of um you know tip to it and so i just remember that and uh, i just remember it being seedless and this kind of bright yellow gold and you know just kind of having that real sativa type of uh, look to it and um if you ever uh if you're familiar with lawrence chernak he has a cannabis book and he actually has a picture of some some gold in there and it looked exactly the same you know when i saw that picture i was like that's what you know we got back in the day and i was only able to get it once but it was memorable. And that's how things were back then. You know, you would see something, you'd get it once and that was it, you know? And, uh, so. Wow. What a great little history lesson right there. I mean, something people probably notice when they look at the collective work done by top dog and 
you can see that there's obviously sort of this indica side of things with you know the chems and whatnot but there's also the sativa side of things do you think that this sort of exposure to these really sort of quite legendary strains at the young age instilled in you a sort of a love for those sativas or is it more so you just want to provide a bit of everything no you kind of you know hit it on the head you know i really built the brand on things that i like and experienced so you know i know that i'm a little older than most of the people so i was at be able i was able to experience you know a lot of things early on you know i was able to catch kind of what i call the the late 70s Cheech and Chong era, era of what I explained to you of, you know, $20 halves and $40 ounces and, and all that kind of stuff, where that kind of changed in the early 80s or in the early to mid 80s once, um, you know, the drug war uh, really stepped up. And that's what really cultivated the whole indoor scene because in the early 80s you know i remember that's when ronald reagan came into um he came he was the president you know and i was in high school from 80 to 84 and that's when he first took over so you know within the first two years you know uh things started to change and by the last two years you know you know like i said things you know started to change a little bit more and you know by the time i got out of high school uh by 1985 um the government really put a halt on a lot of the imports that were coming into the country and that prompted a whole a whole shift in the drug trade to where they started importing cocaine instead of bales of marijuana so by 1985 1986 the streets just became flooded with imported cocaine and uh and there wasn't much uh, import marijuana coming in and looking back at that time in history you know um up in the pacific northwest that's kind of like when um the indoor grows of seattle uh greg McAllister, the nl guys up there you know, they, they they were they started, you know, those indoor grows in the, in the early 80s during the, during that during those times. And uh, yeah, so that just really kind of prompted the whole indoor thing where, you know, that's where it, that's where it began because of the, the, the pressure you know, of, you know, of the imports. So people were just like, well, we'll just start producing it ourselves, you know, to the point, you know, to where, you know, we, you know, uh, we just started to become a self, self-efficient, you know, uh, producing company, uh, country ourselves. A lot of people have never uh, experienced what I, uh, a drought, you know, meaning where you couldn't get weed I mean, like I said, you know, back in the 80s, it was easier to get cocaine than it was to get weed. And so, uh, yeah, it became very, you know, difficult. Uh, you know, so, I mean, and that just kind of prompted the whole indoor 
the whole indoor scene to you know to where it's kind of evolved into today you know to where you know it, it's kind of amazing if you you know really kind of look back at the history of it or really know know anything about it what a fascinating sort of way to view back on things and it all makes perfect sense right with the rise of the drug war and whatnot if we think back to when you were talking about uh, you know, how to sort of you befriended the groundskeeper and you sort of got access to the better quality stuff. It's it's clear that you're quite a good networker, which I'm sure has helped you a lot over the years. Do you remember any of the strains that you were seeing from those indoor grows, say, before Chem came out, sort of, you know, like 80s slash super early 90s? Were there any memorable ones that you can remember at all? Well, I remember seeing my first grow and uh this was a guy who was in times square in new york city on 47 uh, 46th street you know and he was in between broadway and uh 6th avenue so i mean that was like a block away right from the center of of times square and he was a weed dealer and um so, you know, I, I had hooked up with him in the late 80s, um, yeah, mid to, mid to late 80s. And so, you know, I was just, that's where I used to go and buy my weed from, you know. And he would have, you know, regular um, Mexican weed, that which was green and, and, and sellable, you know, and like an upper mid, we used to call him. And then he would get, you know, exotic strains and different stuff like that. But, you know, he wound, he wound up like monopolizing his building and wound up getting like, I don't know, like the building itself maybe had only like, a, I think it had an apartment on each, you know, I had two apartments on each floor. And so there was one guy that, was in the building and he rented one of the places but he also lived up in albany so he wasn't in the building much and then there was like a music uh repair store downstairs and then he wound up getting the next three apartments all the way up and so he sold weed out of one he had one that he had storage out of that's where he stored his weed and then the other one he had a little grub and so uh, this was probably like in, in the late 80s, like 89, 90, somewhere in that range. And so these guys were going to Amsterdam and getting uh, the early skunk, uh, the silver pearl, uh, a lot of the sensi type of strains. And they were growing them, you know, and they had this uh, little hydro set up. And so that was, you know, some of the first uh, indoor, uh, you know, stuff that I had seen. And uh, yeah, and, and so most of that stuff was seeds that came over from Amsterdam. And so they were going back and forth. And, you know, I, you know, back then, you know, I was really green and wet behind the ears. And, you know, I, I didn't really have a lot of knowledge about it, but I had an interest in it. And so it was probably about that time that I actually started collecting seeds. You know, I would get a, 
a bag of good weed and find a seed out of it and and save it and i was like yeah maybe one day i'll be a grower and so um yeah unfortunately that that seed collection uh got seized by by the police in one of my many uh brushes with the law but uh yeah and that was even before i really decided to be uh, a grower too so okay i mean i guess the next question for me is what was it that stimulated you to start growing as opposed to just sort of being involved in it all well, you know, um, you know, so, you know, I'll, I'll go back, you know, even a, a little bit farther than that, you know, I mean, like I said, I had this guy in Times Square who was my pot dealer and everything. So, um, you know, and everyone from my town was going to this guy and everything. So, uh, and then I had heard that one, one of the kids from our town was, was selling weed up in Central Park. And I was like, really? I was like, if that kid can do it, I was like, I can do it too. Cause the guy was a total loser, you know? So I, uh, so I went up there and I checked out the scene, you know, and it, but it was late, it was late, it was late in the summer. So, you know, I went up there and it was up in Sheep Meadow up in Central Park. And it was just the open, free drug market. That's the only way I could describe it, of people just walking around selling acid, mushrooms, weed, hash. Uh, there's, they would sell beer. I mean, you could just sit down and this, you used to be able to smoke. And people used to, you know, they'd have circles of kids just all around, different circles of people. Some people would bring uh, guitars and drums and have little circles. And it was just, it was just a really cool scene. I was just like blown away. I was like, wow, I can't believe this, you know, but it was, it was late in the season. So I was like, well, I'm going to come out next year. So, you know, I wound up, you know, getting um, some really good, uh, you know, some really good green came in and we used to call it Pretendica because it was almost like real indigo but it had a few seeds in it you know what i mean so the real indigo was seedless but this stuff was like kind of like squishy and like spongy but there was a little bit there was a little there were a few seeds in it you know it was more expensive than your regular commercial but it was well worth it because you know the price you can kick up the price out of it and if you can find, you know, someone that wasn't really in the know and you could squeeze all of them seeds out of it, you could, you know, sell that off as, you know, as, you know, as kind buds. So, you know, you know, I was able to get, you know, I think like five pounds of it, you know, and I uh, and I just squirreled that away thinking, all right, this is going to be what I'm going to bring out to the park in the spring. So that's what I did. So, you know, the, the day came. You know, um, you know, I, I might have scouted out, you know, and went up there one day and seen it, it was happening. And then I was like, all right, I'm going to go out there. So and I got I had all my, you know, had my pretendica with me, you know, and I uh, hit the park. I, you know, I go through one of the side gates, you know, I start walking through 
And I see some guy sitting under a tree with a guitar with his girlfriend listening to the Grateful Dead on on a little radio. And I think to myself, oh, wow, this guy's got to be cool. You know what I mean? So I go over to him and I try, you know, hustling him. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I'm trying to sell him weed, this and that. And then he says to me, well, let me show you what I have, to, what I'm selling. And he, he, he whips out some real kind bud. You know, I'm just like, whoa, you know, I'm blowing away, you know. So I'm like, you know, so I get friendly with the guy and everything. And so, you know, we become friends. And, and so, you know, and, it, and I was, you know, just trying to learn the ropes out there. So I was kind of hanging with him and he would tell me, you know, this guy's, but watch out for this one or that one or, you know. So, um, you know, we were sitting there one day and some guy comes strolling up and the guy's name was Ben. He's like, hey, Ben. He's like, you know, and I guess that someone had sent him out there to look for Ben because Ben was a known kind bud dealer in Central Park. So uh, this guy comes up and he's like, hey, you know, I got some kind bud that I grew. Do you want to buy some? And so, you know, Ben is like, yeah, I only have, you know, X amount of dollars for X amount of weed. You know, and then he looks to me and he's like, do you want to buy some? And I'm like, yeah, I'll buy. You know, I'm like, I'll buy some. You know what I mean? Because you know, back then, like trying to find someone you know, to try to find a grower was just like, you know, it was like hitting a gold mine, you know, because it was just so, you know, you know, there were people out there were doing it, but finding those people was just so far and few in between that, you know, uh, it, you know, it was very hard. So, you know, when I really got the first chance, other than the guy that I knew in Central, I mean, in um, Times Square, who, who grew, but, you know, I was, you know, really excited, you know, to be able to buy some. So, you know, maybe like a week or two later, I'm out there by myself. You know, Ben's not around. But who do I see walking across the meadow is the kind bud guy. And I'm like, yo, man, come on over, you know. And he's like, yo, where's Ben? I'm like, I don't know. He's not here today. I'm like, what, you got some kind? He's like, yeah, I got, you know, whatever. And I was just like, well, you know what? I'll, I'll take it all. I think he used to come in with quarters. There were like six gram quarters where he used to come in with, you know? So uh, I was like, I'll take them all, you know what I mean? And so, you know, um, you know, I hooked up with the guy and, you know, unfortunately for Ben, he wound up um, getting all fucked up on drugs. And so, you know, I was just out there on a regular basis, just grinding away and started working with this guy. And so, you know, this guy wound up being the weasel. You know, this was, this was the guy. He came out originally with some, uh, he used to call it the RFK skunk. And the story behind that was that him and a friend had gone to a dead show down in, down at RFK Stadium down in Washington, D.C. and bought a bag of kind and they had some seeds in it and they, uh, they split up the seeds and then they both decided to grow. So, you know, they both started growing and they needed a place to get rid of it. So they came out to the park you know so 
you know, his original product was uh, the RFK one, two, and three. And um, after that, he wound up um, going to a fish show and meeting Greg, Chemdog Greg. And so I guess, you know, uh, they, uh, you know, back then, like one grower meeting another grower was another big thing because, all right, now I have someone that I can trust, trade uh, genetics and information with. So, uh, you know, that's, you know, Greg was growing the Chem 91 in the Super Skunk. And, you know, my friend had the RFK and, you know, I don't know if he, he might've had some stuff from Amsterdam, but um, he wound up driving up to Massachusetts from Staten Island, uh, bought, the, you know, traded, you know, for the Chem 91 and super, Mass Super Skunk. And then he brought that down to, uh, to uh, Staten Island, you know, and, um, and by that time, I had kind of, you know, uh, cornered that whole market, meaning like I told him, listen, you know, I'll buy everything you got. I got cash. I'll pay you COD. You know what I mean? So he, he loved that, you know, idea. So he was like, hey, listen, you know, doing, you know, business up here in the park isn't really a good idea. We should go down to wetlands. And so he's like down at wetlands, you know, it was a bar and, you know, on Tuesday nights, you have grateful dead night, you know? And so you can go downstairs and they had like drum circles and guitars and stuff like that, but they, they, they let you, you know, smoke weed down there. So, you know, we would, you know, meet up down there and, um, you know, we wound up meeting AJ down there and, you know, he just kind of just sniffed us out because, you know, I would, I, I would wait for him, you know, and people, you know, people knew who I was and they'd be asking me for weed and I'd be like, you know, wait, 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 you know? And so I, I'd be waiting for him. They would see him come over to me, you know, we would do our business, you know what I mean? And, you know, and once, you know, when we were doing our business, obviously, you know, I would take a bag out and open it up. And as soon as I would open that bag, I would just permeate the whole room. And so people would just be there, like, sta standing there, like, staring at us, you know, the whole time, you know. And then eventually that's how kind of AJ caught on to us. And then, you know, I reached a point where he'd be like, hey, listen, let's go into the back office I have access to it. Let's go back and do, do, do our deals back there. So, you know, so we, you know, all started, you know, getting friendly and we used to smoke back there and it became exclusive. And so, you know, I was able to, you know, um, you know, that was just the beginning of the whole, you know, the whole chem story when I, you know, when, you know, he, you know, he started, um, doing a little bit of breeding you know he created you know the under the underdog which was you know nl super skunk times chem 91 and uh he had that and then you know he was running that um he was also running some others some other strains in there and you know that's where we sus suspect the 
you know, the sour diesel came out of because, you know, I told you earlier that I, you know, I used to collect seeds. So, you know, once the chem started coming around, I used to collect seeds out of the chem. And, you know, once I started growing, when I first started growing, I popped some of them chem seeds and they came out, you know, very sour, you know, and I remember um, I wound up giving I remember I sexed the plant and knew it was a female and um, and I gave it to my friend and I told them that, you know, that this is a female and, you know, we didn't, fin we weren't, we weren't able to finish it. And so when he finished it, you know, he wound up uh, coining that the guava cut. And so, you know, that was, that was the original guava, but not the guava that we know today, you know, and uh, so, you know, the story, you know, um, you know, behind that is uh, that wound up just coming back, you know, as in like a, a as in star dog. So he referenced, he thought that was the closest uh, thing to the original guava that he remembers, but it was it was it was chem genetics but just a different breeding so uh yeah so that was really you know i was lucky enough to um to meet you know mike you know the weasel and uh really you know i and really what really started to happen you know so i was just you know out there selling weed and once i met mike and uh you know he got me interested in growing and so in like 99, you know, I decided I was going to, you know, I decided I wanted to start growing. And what I did was I rented an apartment up in um, Washington Heights up by uh, uh, the George Washington Bridge. And I put a hydro table in there and a couple lights and Mike wound up giving me some um some 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 cuttings of the oasis he, he was running the oasis from amsterdam so those were the very first cuttings that i got of oasis and i put them up there in that uh, apartment and what wound up happening was that the electrical box burnt out you know somehow you know i i overjuiced it and so you know, uh, yeah, it was, it didn't work out. So I, I, you know, I walk in one day and, and the lights are out and I'm like, what am I going to do? I couldn't fix the box myself. I called the super. He's saying, well, I got to get into the apartment. You know, I got all my gross shit in there and I can't let him in. So what am I going to do? I was in a dilemma. And so right at that same time, some people that I used to sell weed to, uh, they were two brothers and uh, they had a spot down on in a building on Fifth Avenue and uh, they knew the people that owned the building and they were like the maintenance workers of the building and they had charged all this money on on a credit card like $15,000 worth of grow stuff they bought lights and tables hydro all this stuff 
and they were, uh, you know, they had seen something in uh, High Times magazine about a perpetual sea of green harvest. You can harvest every week, blah, blah, blah. So, I mean, that's, you know, what they were trying to do. And it was just failing. And so, uh, you know, they asked, you know, and I had told them about what I was doing. And so they had known that I had a little thing. And so um, when my apartment went down, I told them, hey, listen, you know, um, you know, I, you know I, I have a whole bunch of plants that are going to die. And they're like, well, just bring them, bring them down here. And he and they were like, and then we made an agreement to where I was going to help them, you know, get that room turned around and try to help them get their money back. So we we, you know, formed a partnership. And so I moved those plans down to Fifth Avenue and they had um, this maintenance area that was a pretty big space and. It was like a, they made it into like a locker room, but they made it to where where you open one of the lockers, you walked into through into another room, and that's where the grow room was. So they they had built a wall, and then they had these lockers that you walked through, and so that's where the grow room was. And you know, it was just kind of like improperly put together and everything and they were splicing into the electric all over the building and eventually what happened was i helped them get their money back and everything and you know what we were having problems in the room it was getting too hot during the summertime and you know working out the bugs and they you know had ran some new wires and and tapped into the um the hallway electric which was on the other side of the wall so they spliced into that so i go in there on a hot day and it's really hot you know and i you know i turn on a, a an air conditioner and walk out you know not knowing anything that i just you know overloaded the circuit you know so i'm in the city down at my apartment or office and then I get a phone call saying that the, uh, that the fire department in front of the building and that there's a fire in the building. So, you know, I hop in my car, I drive past and sure enough, the fire department's out front. And um, so lucky for us, you know, uh, they located, you know, I guess in the hallway where the fire was and it was up in the ceiling and uh lucky for us it wasn't on the other other side of the wall and that's where the grow was so they popped their head up there they saw where the fire was and so they didn't discover the the grow but you know but needless to say that was kind of the beginning of the end to that spot uh, you know there were we were getting complaints of people in the building that were you know like 20 stories up and they were smelling weed because we were just exhausting out we were on the bottom floor and just exhausting out of a um of a window and this is before uh charcoal filters and all that stuff so we were just you just had raw exhaust just going up and the thing was it was like 
Uh, they had like courtyards in, in in these in these buildings, and so where the buildings kind of like they all kind of come together, it almost becomes like a, a shaft in between. So, and it just goes straight up, you know, until it, you know. But there's like a little space in between, you know, the buildings, and so that's where we were pumping out of. So the people upstairs, it was just it was just shooting up. So when they opened their windows you know, they could smell weed. And I had a, a kid in the building that he, that I used to sell weed to. And he'd be like, yeah, you know, I know that there's someone growing weed in the building. He goes, there's these, these Russian mobster guys are down on the first floor. He's like, and I know, I know it's gotta be them, you know, but you know, he didn't, he didn't know it was actually us that were that was doing it so uh yeah uh so that was really you know my first uh my first real experience in 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 in, in growing and then and then after that you know that was like in 99 uh you know that lasted like a year or two and then i think after that ended you know it took me like a year to get my shit back together on my own. And I just wound up going uh, upstate uh, New York. I rented out a house um, up by Hunter Mountain. And that's where I had my first, uh, my own, my, my first grow myself. And the people, you know, that I was, um, you know, and then by by this time, you know, the, the circle of growers had, had evolved into, you know, a few more. So the circle had widened, widened, and, um, you know, I, I told them like, yeah, I want to start growing. And they're like, all right, we'll help you. You know, so they helped me, you know, uh, build my first room, you know, uh, you know, did it correctly, the right setup, you know, gave me, uh, gave me sour diesel clones, which I had given them originally because, you know, I was, I was selling the weed. So, you know, I would be like, all right, I know what strains sell. I know what people want. You, you do what, what I tell you, if I give you these clones, you grow them and it's going to, it's going to help us all. So, you know, that's what I, you know, that's what I had started to do was getting, you know, I started networking and I was able to get the sour diesel. And so I gave that to them. And then they gave it back to me. And that was one of the first strains that I started growing. Uh, well, on my own was the sour diesel. And then uh, and then eventually I, I wound up meeting uh, Chemdog Greg. And I wound up trading him the sour diesel for the Chem D. And so, uh, and then when I first, you know, and then when, once I got my own place, you know, and I had been, you know, uh, selling weed all these years and, you know, like I was saying, I would tell these people what to grow. And uh, a lot of times I'd be like, you know, we'd have certain strains. I'd be like, well, what happened to this Kush or this NL? They'd be like, oh, we lost it. You know, we don't have it anymore. I'd be like, man, that fucking shit, you know, that was good. What happened, you know? Well, whatever, for whatever reason, we lost it. So once I started growing myself and getting these elite clones, that's when I decided I wanted to start um, 
in you know preservation and it was really you know all right i got this sour diesel you know i was like all right now you know it's the clone only strain you know so we don't have no there is no sour diesel male so you know so i was just like well you know i was just like well i'm gonna make my own male you know so you know so i was growing the chem d and the, you know all these different strains so I was like, well, if I'm going to make my own male, I'm going to use whatever the best weed, the strongest weed that I have, you know, and back then it was the chem weed. So I decided, all right, chem D is what I'm going to you know, base my male off of. And so, you know, then I was like, well, what are you going to use for a donor male? So I had a guy going to to uh amsterdam and i gave him you know a bunch of money and i'm like you know get you know i gave him a whole bunch of lists of strains to get me from sensi seeds and and that's what he did so he, he comes back and he had he had the hindu kush the afghan one um skunk nl a whole bunch of different ones but you know i you know, I was like, you know, I'll, I'll have to grow these out to see what they are, how, you know, how they grow. So I, I grew all, you know, well, really, I just grew the Hindu Kush and the Afghan out and decided that the Afghan would be a better choice uh, of a male donor uh, because it was, uh, it wasn't very dominant in, in taste and smell. It kind of had like a, a piney, uh you know like a yeah like a kind of like, like a piney kind of um i'm trying to think of the different word to describe it but um yeah it wasn't really dominant you know it, it was kind of blandish you know it it grew really thick stemmed and single cola you know this just a really big top single cola and so I decided, you know, that would probably be the best, you know, uh, male donor for, you know, the cross into the chem day. And so that, you know, that's what I did. I, I did the first cross, the Afghan chem day, and then I uh, back crossed into the uh, chem day again and made the double dog and then did the third. Uh, cross, which would have been the second back cross, would would, would have made the trade dog, and so once I made the trade dog, you know, I decided that you know that that would probably be a good representation of the chem D, a good you know strong male, and so you know I decided you know one of the first you know breedings that I was going to do, um, I had just gotten the chem four at that time, so I was like, well, I'll, you know combine two different chems and see what what happens and you know uh, that eventually became a star dog and when i made those seeds um you know i just wound up you know i grew some out myself and found the quarry cut within the first i think i only i only popped like a few, maybe like four or five seeds and i found the quarry cut and then i wound up um given uh, some seeds to people that were affiliated with high times. And some of the seeds got into the hands of Kyle Cushman. He grew out the star dog, uh, found his uh, pheno keeper, which he entered, I think it was in the San Francisco Medical Cup in 2010 and won second place with that. 
So that really kind of, you know, put the star dog, you know, on the map. People started noticing it. Um, some some of the other seeds got into um, Andre Grossman. He was a freelance photographer who had an apartment in New York City. He was affiliated with High Times. And he held the and always grew the strawberry cough. And so that was Kyle Cushman's. Uh, strain that he brought to high times and that became the the office strain so at any time you know you could used to be able to go down to the park avenue office and they might even have had a mother of the of the strawberry cough in the office and you used to be able to get clones from it and they didn't have it there they had it like really close by so you, you used to be able to go down there and be like, you know, yeah, I want some strawberry cough and they would get it to you within an hour or two. So Andre started growing the guava, I mean, a star dog and found a guava cut. And so uh, he brought that into the office and that also became an office stream and accessible to people uh, to high times. And so um, when Andre started growing it, you know, he started obviously taking pictures of it. They did a, a centerfold of it. They did a write-up on it and everything. And so uh, getting back to the, the, the original guava thing, so that, that cutting started getting out around town. And my friend who I uh, had given the original guava to wound up getting that cutting and he calls me up one day and he's like all excited he's like i got it i got it back i got it back i got the guava back and so you know i first saw the guava from him not knowing that it was my seeds that i had given to uh you know so it was like a whole it, it, it read, it, eventually it all came full circle and we figured out everything and and that's been kind of like the 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 story of of the chem dog and a lot of the stuff that's been on the internet because a lot of it has come full circle because a lot of these people have popped up on the internet and we've been able to connect and we've been able to figure out you know the chem dog story and you know all of that now that's really become legend wow what a phenomenal answer i think uh everyone's gonna have to go listen to that a few times you just tied so many pieces of the puzzle together for me so thank you so much i guess one of the first questions and i'm gonna have about a million questions for you i think i read somewhere that you were involved in being able to help reconnect Bud and joe brand with chemdog is that correct Yes, that is. Originally, um, well, my original um, interaction with uh, the internet was, you know, I was sitting in my office one day and a guy comes in, he's like, hey, he's like, you see on the internet, you know, where this guy is, you know, taking credit for the sour diesel. And, you know, back then I wasn't very internet savvy or didn't really, you know, it wasn't really, really of my interest at that time. So I wind up, you know, going on this site called Overgrow and I see uh, this guy Rez Dog talking about sour diesel. 
and I'm like, sour diesel. I'm like, that's that's us. Like, and I'm like, I I know what you know the whole story, you know, uh, of you know I have all of this knowledge and all of this stuff. So, you know, um, you know, and at that time I had been you know I had been growing already a few years and stuff. So. You know, and then that's kind of like when Soma came out with the New York City diesel, which we were, you know, quite offended by. And um, so, you know, I, I, you know, decided to, you know, to create uh, an account and, and set the record straight. So, you know, that's where, you know, I, I, I became uh, JJ uh, NYC. Uh, I logged on there. And my very first post was just this kind of a rant that just kind of, you know, kind of set the record straight and called out Soma. And, you know, people were kind of like shocked by it and being like, who the fuck are you? You know what I mean? And so, you know, eventually, you know, um, uh, the, you know, the whole chem thing started you know started out on overgrow and 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 all that and then um and then and then it went down it got it got shut down and you know i got all kind of freaked out by it and i kind of dropped offline for six months to a year and you know and then you know decided you know to pop back on and you know, found out that everyone had moved to IC Mag. So you know, I, I started, you know, um, posting on IC Mag, and uh, this was probably right around the time that I had gotten the Chem D. And uh, so you know, I remember the you know the very first time I I did a search on Chem Dog, and this guy, this guy's account popped up is called Joe Brand and he made a post saying does anyone know anything about chem or dog or I forget what it was you know what I mean so you know I started a whole dialogue with him you know what I mean and uh yeah I mean eventually it just kind of led to the you know um you know, getting those guys back together, you know, we figured out the whole, you know, it, I mean, and, and, you know, when it was coming, you know, when it was happening, it was, you know, it was really, it was really incredible to really, you know, start piecing all that history together and figuring out the puzzle. Um, so, yeah, I was able to, you know, we figured out that, you know, it had, you know, that, you know, that Greg had gotten, it was Greg, and uh, the, that Greg still had some of those original seeds left. And so I had, you know, I hooked those guys up and they re reunited and and Greg wound up send, sending uh, Joe uh, four of the original seeds that he found in, in, in that dog bud. And that wound up being the chem one, two, three, four. So, yeah, I was, uh, you know, very in instrumental in, in doing all, all of that. 
Yeah, wow. It's it's so impressive how interconnected all the relationships and stories are. If I could just go back a moment to when you were talking about, you know, how the, the Staten Island crew first sort of linked with Mass G and all those sorts of things. I guess something I'd love to ask you is, what was your first experience like when you first smoked the Chem 91? Uh, it was just kind of game changing because we never saw anything like that. <laughs> and even like the super skunk too. I mean, when you, when you would crack a jar of that super skunk, it would just, it would just permeate the room. It was just something that, you know, it's just something that you just cannot find today, you know? And so when people talk about roadkill and all this other stuff, you know, uh, you know, I, I know what it is. I, I experienced it. You know, it was something at one time and why it's changed and, and, and it's gotten lost. Um, you know, no one really knows the re reason why. And a lot of it, you know, is people, you could say it's genetic drift, um, you know, and, and which could be a part of it. Uh, I think it was really hard for people to really hold on to a lot of these genetics because they were so loud. So many people had gotten busted uh, with those genetics over the years. And um, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you if you really think about it, you know, a lot of the strains that we have today were are, are really responsible because of one person. You know, I mean, if you look at the chem the cams if it wasn't for greg we wouldn't have the cams you know if you look in and you can go down a list of different strains that people are associated with and you know so if it really wasn't for those people who who preserved them and then shared them you know we wouldn't have what we have today so i mean you know we did have those genetics were you know plentiful at one time but unfortunately, you know, that was during a time of, of the drug war and heavy prohibition. And a lot of that stuff just got snuffed out, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. It's a real shame, isn't it? And I guess some of the more smelly stuff before carbon filters is obviously just logistically hard to sort of manage long term. I had a question or two about the sour diesel for you that I was hoping you might be able to shed some light on. Back when, around that time when, you know, the sour first came out, were people running primarily just like one strain in a room or were there multiple? Because I guess I'm trying to figure out, is it more likely that it was just an S1 or like some sort of cross-pollination? And then as a little follow-up, do you accept the versions given by people like Weasel or Vondo on, say, the Adam Dunn show when they talk about the sour diesel history? Or do you think it would maybe went down a little differently to what we see online? Well, I, I do know, you know, what he, you know, what, what he was growing at the time because I was selling it. You know, I know that he had the 91. He had the um, Mass Super Skunk. Uh, he had the RFK stuff. I think he had the, the DNL. And so... You know, uh, you know, that's, you know, you know, what, you know, I suspect, you know, something in the room hermied and got into the into the 91, obviously. And uh, that's where the sour diesel came from. 
Now, I mean, there's a lot of speculation on, you know, is it super skunk? Is it DNA? You know, or, but, you know, the, the one thing that I can point to is um, the skunk VA, and he's very adamant. And I'm sure you're familiar with some of his early uh, super skunk photos that kind of show big, stretchy, kind of sour like plants. And um, from what I remember and what's also documented in high times when they did the um, photo shoot of the mass super skunk and of the chem dog uh, from Greg back in the day, that that plant was more of a more medium squat plant. You know, the, the plant that that the, the weasel had was the same exact one that Greg had. And I mean, I sold the bud of it. I saw it grow and it was not the big, super stretchy, uh, pheno that skunk VA um, uh, had. So I don't know if it was the same genetics. I know that, you know, um, you know there's a whole different story on that super skunk. Um, it was down in Virginia originally. Um, it, I think that it, yeah, I think it came, there was a trade, uh, the super skunk came up from Virginia to Massachusetts and then the chem dog was picked up from Massachusetts and brought out to California to skunk VA and that was the 91 and so um yeah I don't really know what if that was a, a, a different pheno that they gave him or what you know i know at that time i think skunk va was out in california i think he set up the deal with his friends um so what was actually brought up and traded i mean is anyone is anyone's guess because i think there's a big discrepancy between the super skunk that greg had and then the super skunk that skunk VA had, because they were two totally different phenotypes. I mean, if you want to do your research on Greg's mass super skunk and, and you know, find out the characteristics of it, you can, but you will find that it's not that really tall, stretchy, sour-like pheno that skunk VA had. So who's right who's wrong i mean we'll never know i mean i mean i guess if you can really get into some uh sequencing and and stuff like that maybe some of that stuff could you know come out in the future but you know uh you know it could it, to me it's just speculation and i can only go by with what I know and, and, and knew at the time. So, um, I mean, I have my doubts on it just because I think there, there are two different phenos. I mean, I could be wrong. Uh, there's another, a whole nother story behind that, which I don't know. So, I mean, there's more, I guess there's more investigating 
um, facts that need to come out, you know, from, I guess, the Virginia, the Virginia Beach crew in Skunk VA. Yeah, look, I think you might be on the money there because when I've spoken to Skunk VA more recently, he's sort of said to me that now that he thinks back on it, the, the skunk cutting he got back from Greg years later, he goes, I was so excited to have it back, you know, like I'm like, oh, the super skunk's back. And he goes, but now that I really think about it, he goes, I'm not sure it was the same plant, which is sort of what you're saying, that the plant Greg got might not have been the original one skunk VA had. It's not. It's not. And so that's why. And, I, and, I, and I've seen phenos that came out of that skunk. You know, that, that, that underdog, it was NL, skunk, NL Super Skunk times 91. And that was not a big stretcher. It kind of grew, kind of cush, well, kind of like the cush, but not as stretchy. Uh, it was more of the bud structure. It was more of a medium stout plant. Uh, it didn't yield very well, but unfortunately, um, that that underdog uh we killed it because of genetic drift uh it just petered out after a while and we had the original cut and it just changed uh i, I mean I, I i've seen it with different strains over the years not only strain, strains that i've grown but strains that i've sold you know and i can remember the stuff the wheelchair used to be in in the city and uh, i mean the early wheelchair was exactly that wheelchair weed i mean you would smoke that shit and you you were incapacitated uh towards the end it just kind of gotten like bland and just kind of petered out and so uh yeah i i've seen genetic drift in and and strange just kind of just dud out So there you have it gang, part one of three done and dusted. What do you think? Some major history lessons being dropped on the East Coast scene there and huge shout out again to JJ for taking the time to come on the show and a huge shout out to our amazing sponsors for helping us to make the show happen. CT now, best seed bank in the game. Go hit them up for all the hottest drops from all the breeders you know, you love. Guarantee on satisfaction at the end of a cycle, not just guarantee on germination. Why would you go elsewhere? Likewise, go check out Coppet Biological Systems. With all the most advanced technologies, these guys have got you covered and will keep the pests at bay. Check out the Apiparem or the Spidex Vital. Both of them incredible products. going to help you overcome any infestation you have, or more importantly, keep away a potential infestation. Nothing better than being proactive and getting on top of a problem before it even exists, guys. Go check out Coppet Biological Systems. Incredible sponsors. We really appreciate them. And last but not least, Promix Connect. Your number one mycorrhizal product in the game. You know Promix. You've probably bought their peat before. Guess what? They've got a killer mycorrhizal product now. And if you check it out, I promise you, your plants will be better off for it. No questions asked. Better resin, better flavor, better yield. You know mycorrhizal is fantastic. I don't need to sell you on it. Go check it out. Promix Connect. Number one mycorrhizal product in the game. Furthermore, huge shout out to Charlie's Cannabis. 
your number one family-owned small batch craft cannabis producer out of Oklahoma, providing you with incredible flavors, chemical sunset, star pebbles, so many more on the horizon. Check out their Instagram to see what they're pheno hunting at the moment. I'm really excited to have these guys on board, and I think it's going to be magical to see what they produce going forward. You need some high-quality smoke. You're in Oklahoma. Go check out Charlie's Cannabis. You'll be puffing good. I promise. Finally, a shout out to the Patreon gang. I love you. I appreciate you. You are the best. If you want to get access to unheard content, early access to interviews, giveaways, so much more, go check it out. We recently got a Discord, guys. I'm a bit late for the Discord party, but I tell you what, I'm loving it. Some good chats going on there. Be sure to check out Patreon if you want to help support the show and ensure content continues to be made. That's it for part one, guys. I'll see you back for part two and part three. Thanks for hanging around. We'll see you.